I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Christian men, let's go before the Lord on behalf of our families, the church, and the world. Father, we just thank you for your grace that's upon us. God, we want to honor you in word and deed today. Thank you that we've had times of fellowship, times of singing, times of encouragement already this morning. We want to hear from you and we want to respond to you. God, we're thankful we get to receive communion and be reminded of your body and your blood that was broken and spilled for us. Thank you that we get to sing again to you to respond and that we get to be commissioned out of here. God, you are at work in our lives. You're at work in this church. God, we pray for other local churches right now throughout the city that are gathering. Thank you that there is truly one church. And God, you're at work in multiple assemblies across this city, across this county and state. And God, we ask you to continue to move, raise up faithful churches. God, I pray that come into this fall and winter, that churches would obey you, would honor you, and they would not bow to lawless commands or ordinances that violate what you have to say. God, give us courage to, to just obey you in the simplest of things. Holy Spirit, lead us today. I trust that you're going to. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Titus chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. We're doing a small series through the book of Titus chapter 2, and we're going to be going into the book of Hosea after this. And so it was somewhat of a bumper series, a small series between the book of Galatians that we just wrapped up a few weeks back and the book of Hosea. And so we thought we would talk to older men and older women, younger women and younger men, and really just address everybody within the church. And it's been a lot of fun for me to preach through. Hopefully it's been encouraging and challenging to you. Today the sermon title is A Charge to Young Men. A Charge to Young Men. Turn your eyes to verse 6 in Titus chapter 2. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. This is the word of the Lord. Last week I talked about how there is a war on women in our world today, and that is clear and really unarguable. There is an absolute war on women. But to say that is to not, it's not saying that there is not a war on men because there actually is an assault on gender itself. Because of that, there is an absolute war on men. You see it everywhere. Blame the patriarchy, hate the patriarchy. White males are the problem of all of the world, basically, is what the world says at this point. So if you're a white dude, sorry, but the, the burden of the world's problems lays on your shoulders and you're to blame. <laughs> so says Clown World. Men are not doing well. That's the problem right now. Men are not doing well. Consider a few of these statistics. 95% of people in prison are men. Violent crimes in this country are committed primarily and almost exclusively by men. 70%, 76% of homicides are men who have been murdered. 80% of the 30 to 40,000 annual suicides are men. Consider that. 30 to 40,000 people a year are taking their own life, and 80% of them are men. Men in our country today are physically weaker, fatter, and more mentally unstable than ever before, and by every measurable standard. Men don't know what it means to be a man. We have men on the front of magazines dressing like women and people calling that manhood. And a lot of this has to do with being a fatherless nation. 
We are in large part a fatherless nation. And it's been like that going now on a couple generations. Fatherlessness in our nation is a massive, massive problem. And young men have an opportunity to turn that tide, to turn the ship, to get the rudder going in the right direction by obeying their Heavenly Father. But listen to these statistics on fatherlessness in our country. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes. 85% of all children who show behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. There was an interesting study done on elephants where they took two young bull elephants, they removed the father elephants, the dad elephants from the herd, and these young bull elephants started acting up like crazy. Nobody, these other elephants, the moms couldn't get them under control. Well, they introduced two big bull elephants that were not even the dads, just two big bull elephants. And within a couple days, these young bull elephants started to act up. They had some direction. They had some discipline. 85% of children who show behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. 70% of youth, youths in state-operated institutions comes from fatherless homes. 85% of all youths in prison come from fatherless homes. The point is, if you remove the father, the family falls apart. Remove the father, the family falls apart. If you embrace egalitarianism, oh, we're all just the same as we've been talking about the last few weeks, that horrific error that says equality equals sameness. If you embrace that kind of foolishness, if you imagine that gender is unimportant, it's not that big of a deal. To be a Christian is just to be a Christian. It doesn't really matter if you're a Christian man or a Christian woman. If you buy into that foolishness, women will not know how to be women and boys will not know how to grow into manhood. Men will not know how to be men. Young men need direction. They need guidance. They don't just simply need to be told, you got to do better at being a man or to man up because most young men don't know how to man up. They don't know what that means. So young men need direction. They need to know it's good to be a man. Side note, the best podcast on manhood right now is It's Good to Be a Man. I encourage you guys and ladies also, listen to it. It's phenomenal. There's good content for both men and women on there. Men, it's a phenomenal resource. It's Good to Be a Man by Michael Foster. Men need to be told that. It's good to be a man. It's all right. It's okay to be a man. And the media, the TV says, no, being a man is bad. College says, no, being a man is bad. And the worst thing you can be is a white man. That's bad. And the Bible says it's good to be a man. It's actually good that you were created masculine. You were created not just as an asexual being, but you were created as a man. And it's good to be a man. It's good to work. It's good to work hard. It's good to find a wife. It's good to be a dad if God so blesses you in that way. It's good to stay at home, to not leave, to not abandon your family, to be responsible. It's good to build a legacy. It's good to leave an inheritance of spiritual life and vitality. It's good to leave an inheritance of physical wealth. Young men need to be told that they are not a victim. Victimhood sells. I think it was about a month and a half ago I said that victimhood is a multi-billion dollar industry in our country. And it's easy for men, with the hostility that's coming our way, to step into victimhood. 
I'm not responsible. The reason I am the way I am is because of all the outside factors that have played into my situation or where I am. I am fatherless dad or I am or fatherless boy or I am fill in the blank. You cannot make gains in life by way of victimhood. You have to recognize the difference of something happening to you that's terrible and who you actually are, which is not the abuse or the neglect that happened to you. You are not that. You are a man, and if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've been born again, you're God's man, and God has things for you to do. He's got a calling for you, and he's got a better future than, for you than your past. So we can't embrace victim mentality. Young men need fathers, they need direction, and here's the deal. Here's what's so good, guys. God is the best father, and God has told us how manhood works. He's given counsel to young men, and today we get to see it. First, I want to call your attention not to verse 6, but to verse 5, because I want to make a comment, comment to husbands. Last week, we talked about the glory of submission to a husband, wives submitting to their own husbands, not to men in general, but specifically to their own husbands. And submission is a glorious and a good thing, and we should never run from it, never be embarrassed of it. But when we talk about submission, inherently within that command to women, for wives to submit to their husbands, what that means for men is that men in this room who are married, and for the men who are not married that are in this room going to be preparing to be married, you need to hear this. That God has given the man in marriage authority. Authority to lead in marriage. And so single men, you got to start right now taking responsibility over any area of life that God has given you. You have to steward what's in front of you well to prepare to be the kind of man that can handle the authority of a household. we got to ask the question, we think about authority, because it says, working at home, kind, submissive to your own husbands, which means husbands have this authority. We have to ask the question, what does authority mean? in marriage look like? Young men, our ears, as the other categories of people we've been talking to the last three weeks, their ears should perk up. Our ears should perk up and listen and lean in. Okay, God, what does that look like? What does authority in the home look like? If you've given it to me, God, I need to know what it is. I need to know what to build toward and prepared for. Ephesians 5.25 is a passage that most of us know that all men should know and all husbands in particular should know. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Authority in the home looks like love. It looks like sacrificial love. The standard for every young man, every young man that's married and every young man that will be married, the standard by which you lead and wield the authority that God has given to you comes by way of love. The standard for how we are to love our wives is not first how our wives want to be loved by us. The standard for how we love our wives is how Christ loved the church. Which means at times, our wives may want to be loved in one way that we have to say, no, we have to do this. And it may at first be a disappointment to your wife. The standard of how we love our wives is not first how they want to be loved, but how Christ loved the church. And here's the deal. Jesus gave himself up for her. He lived sacrificed and gave for her purity, for her holiness, for her provision. This is how Christ lived and loved the church. The way we lead, the way young men lead in marriage, it's going to require loving her as Christ has loved us. 
And the question that every man needs to just be reminded of, the question every man needs answers for is, how has Christ loved us personally? Because how we, how Christ, how, how we experience the love of God out of that is going to be how we love other people. And how has, love, how has Christ loved us? Well, he gave himself up for me. He's loved me unconditionally, even when I'm not faithful to him, he is faithful to me. The foundation then of how we lead and love in our home is going to be how Christ has loved us and has been unconditional. So we've been changed by the unconditional love of God, and it was at great cost to himself. Therefore, we love unconditionally. That's how we lead, and that's how we love in the home. If our wives are called to follow us, I was talking to Ryan about this, and Ryan and Tara aren't here this week, but Ryan and Tara were having this conversation, and, and, uh, and I was just talking to him, just working through this. Because last week I made the comment that men are to set the direction, set the vision, set the, the aim of the family, that husbands are required to do that. They're not just the servant leaders of the church, but they are the, or of the home. They are the actual leaders of the home. So they're going to have to set the direction and the pace and the vision for the home. And so husbands are going to have to do this. Why? Because Jesus set the vision and the direction for the church. Jesus is in charge of the church. Therefore, for us, to wield that authority means to give a good and positive and, and godly direction for the family and say, this is where we're going to go. Think, follow me as I follow Christ. Wife and children, let's go. This is where we're going. We're going to follow, and I'm going to lead the way. I'm going to have the proverbial or the spiritual sword out front, and we're going to move forward into what God has called us to. So husbands are to lead like that. Build a home. Talk to your wife about how to get out of debt, when you want to get out of debt. Men, if you don't have a handle, young men, if you don't have a handle on your spending problems, you got to get a hold of that now. Do Dave Ramsey if you have to, do Envelope Thing or, or, or Larry Paquette, do whatever it takes to get a handle on money now. It's going to have, it's going to reap benefits down the road. Larry Paquette used to say, or maybe Dave Ramsey, live like no one else now so you can live like no one else later. And if you can't handle the responsibility of the little money that you have now, you're going to do a lot of damage with it later on. There's a lot of young men and young couples that get in a lot of trouble in their 20s and they spend their 30s and 40s trying to dig themselves out of the debt pit that they got themselves in. And I think anybody that's been on that debt pit, if they're giving counsel to younger people, are saying, hey, don't do that. You don't have to have that now. If you don't have the cash for it, don't buy it. Don't get that credit card. Don't go on that trip. Don't buy that piece of furniture if you don't have the money for it. So young men have to have these conversations. When you get married, have this conversation with your wife. We want to be out of debt. We want to have a home paid for. We want to have this by this time this, this, at this age. And so we need to get a plan on how to get there. And then your wife is going to come alongside and help you with that. If you have goals for your marriage or for life, pray through that. You want them to be godly. If you have a plan for family worship, um, talk to your wife about that, build a plan, and then implement that plan over the next year. You get the direction, you get the goals as you pray and talk with your wife, listen to her, and then set the pace, set the direction, because we are to follow Christ, and then our family follows us. Follow me as I follow Christ is the approach. Now, verse 6, verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. After we think about the command that's in verse 5 for men by way of the command to women, we, we see this word likewise, likewise. Simple word, just likewise. And what that tells us is that there were commands to older men, there were commands to older women, commands to younger men, younger women, excuse me, and now like that, there's now commands to young men, 
likewise. God has direction. Direction is a very important thing in life. It's a very important thing. Some men don't like reading directions. That's the caricature. I don't like reading directions, but I do like getting directions. When I go into a store, it's Jordan that just wants to look and meander around and find it. It's me who immediately wants to go to a staff person and say, can you please tell me where this item is, what specific row, at what eye level, and can you just please walk me there so I don't have to waste time finding it? I I want to have those directions. I don't want to spend time or waste time finding it. But directions are incredibly important. If you're going in the wrong direction and you go for the, in the wrong direction for any period of time, you end up getting further and further and further from the way that you're supposed to be going. Your trajectory matters. So if you don't have direction from God and you're just walking in your own way, you're going to end up being in the wrong place. There's a way that seems right to men, to men but in the end is what? There's problems, there's judgment on the other end of doing things our way. So direction is really good. So likewise, likewise, there's going to be direction. Young men, you're going to get some arrows, some pointers. And if you're going in the wrong direction, you end up in the right, wrong place, so you want to end up in the right place. So commands from God to young men, we have to keep in mind our commands to justified men. And their directions to the right place. If you're not a Christian in this room and you're just kind of exploring Christianity and you don't know, you still got a lot of questions, I mean, join the club, we're going to have a lot of questions to the day we die about about life. We are not God, so we're going to have some questions. But if you're not justified, if you're not right with God, if there's never been repentance and faith in your life, then these commands come to you in a different way than they come to the believer. To the believer, they come to us and they don't come to us for our justification because we have been justified. So these commandments are to justified men. And if you're not a believer, I would encourage you, the only way to be right with God is to repent of your sins and trust in Christ. Then you can hear commandments as a Christian man, and you can get some direction. And if you don't know Jesus, your direction here today is simply the cross. That's your direction. These commandments aren't yet for you in this same way because you don't yet know Jesus. So your first commandment today is you're commanded to repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as a justified man... Here's these words, our ears, and we, we just get excited as we, as we hear what God has to say and we lean in because commandments are directions on the narrow way. We have the narrow way, the narrow path in front of us, and God has told us, go this way and don't go that way. Go this way, it will go well. Go that way and it won't go well. So younger men, the first thing we get is self-control. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Self-control. Now, young men in our world today really do lack self-control. And a man that lacks self-control really does have the ability to destroy the world, destroy everything around them, destroy themselves. If you can't control yourself, your life is going to be chaos, and your world that's around you is going to be chaos. Everybody that you influence, everybody that's around you is going to be harmed because of your lack of self-control. The Christian young men in Crete, if you remember the cultural way of the island of Crete, was lying. It was evil. They were evil beasts. They were lazy. And they were gluttonous. And so that culture had an impact, and these young men would have grown up in that culture of normal. Where you grow up, and the culture that you grow up, what you catch, that's that's your normal. What's normal? That's normal in our culture. So what was normal, again, in Crete was lying, being extremely evil publicly, being very lazy, and being a glutton. 
And so these young men, to contrast that, the way of the island of Crete, to contrast now, these young men, instead of being self-indulgent, instead of simply taking the path of least resistance, now would have to walk the path of self-denial. They would have to walk with self-control. Control thyself. Because that lying man can wreak havoc in the marriage, the family, and the church, but a man who has self-control can bring life can bring joy, can bring peace and protection to a family or a marriage and a church. A young man must control the evil that's in him, that's inside of him. Even the Christian man that's been born again and made new, you have those evil desires that are in you. And you have got to fight those evil desires. Every young man knows what I'm talking about. You have impulses in you that rage still, that have to be tempered. And over time, those get tempered. And then there's new things that you have to work on. And guys, the older you get... Every older man in here can tell you that temptations change with the years as they go by. The temptations change, and so you have to be on guard. You have to be alert. You have to keep alert, and you have to have self-control. If you're a young man that's not married yet, you have to walk in the ways of self-control now. It's easy when you're a young man and everybody around you is living like the Cretian men. When they're living like the men of Carbondale. When they're living like the men of the world, it's so easy because everything's normal. This is how all young men live. This is what, what do you mean? This is just, I just want to have a good time this weekend. And if you're going to be a man that doesn't destroy people around you, if you're going to be a man that leaves a legacy, you're going to have to have self-control. A young man that can't control that evil is going to end up being a predator that cannot satisfy his lusts. Lusts will destroy you, not just lust over a woman, not just lust for things, but lust for anything that's ungodly. Instead of hard work, the evil within will come out with laziness. Instead of working hard, he will hardly work or work hard to avoid work. The young Christian men in Crete needed to control his appetite because the men of Crete could not control their appetite. They were gluttons for food. They were gluttons for anything that would satisfy what their bellies wanted. And when gluttony is the norm, it's very difficult to curb that appetite because then it's normal. What's the big deal? We are right now, and I think it was 2019 or 2020, but we're the fattest country in the world. And we have to fight that. There's a cultural way it's very easy to go to McDonald's, isn't it? I mean, those fries. There's a Jim Gaffigan bit on the McDonald's fries. That's true. <laughs> if you've heard that Jim Gaffigan bit on McDonald's fries, it's funny, too. Man, junk food is so good, isn't it? Like, it's, why does it taste so good? It just tastes so, so good. But the culture in Crete was one of gluttony. And the culture of our day is one of gluttony. And we've got to fight it. We really do. The sin of gluttony, especially in like, you know, the caricature Baptist church, like the Baptist church pastor is like, if you drink alcohol or look at it, you're going to hell, basically. And then you're like, but communion, it says wine. Like, I think it says wine everywhere in here. Like, it does. And the caricature is the overweight preacher speaking about alcohol. We have to fight that. Young men, control your appetite. Control what you drink. Don't drink too much. I said this last week, there was a warning to ladies to not be owned, not, not be slaves to wine. Alcohol can be very destructive if used improperly. And this warning needs to be repeated anything in life. Sex, 
if it's done improperly, destroys people's lives. And so anything that's a good gift from God can be misused. Food is very, very good, is it not? I mean, Thanksgiving's coming up. And how wonderful is it? We're eating the first, the, th- the first turkey that I shot this year with Brandon. We'll have a story forever. I shot this turkey, and if it's not totally freezer burned, we're going to have the first wild turkey that I've ever, I've ever killed. We're going to eat that thing. And I'm looking forward to it because food is good. It's a gift from the Lord. But just like with anything, we have to control our lusts because good things can be misused. So Christian men have to control themselves. Young men have to. Prisons are full, full of men who could not control their bodies. They could not control their anger. They could not control their lusts. They did not have self-control. That's why prisons are full of men. And young men, through the help of the Holy Spirit, have to learn, have to control myself. I have to control myself. I have to have self-control. And this attribute is for everyone. This attribute is there, this this call and this virtue of self-control is for every single person that's mentioned in Titus chapter 2. Self-control for older men, self-control for older women, self-control for young young women, and self-control for young men. We have to have it. Temptations are going to be different for each of those categories, but we have to pursue it as godly people. And at first I thought, well, is that it? And Brandon and I were kind of joking about this, and Brandon's like, you know, men can only handle one thing at a time, right? Like, you can't do anything else. It's like, I'm thinking about this, I can't think about anything else. Whatever's going on in my world, everything can be just on fire, burning down, and I'm still thinking about this one thing. I have no idea. What? People are screaming at me, talking to me? I have no idea. Somebody needs a washcloth? I didn't hear it. Somebody needs a piece of bread? What? I'm I'm trying to get milk for somebody else. So at first glance, I thought... You get all these lists for everybody else, and then the young men, all they can handle is, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, hard stop. That's all men can take, just one thing, right? Just, all right, guys, just deal with it. Self-control, you're good. But there is some other things here for young men. Kent Hughes, a commentator, helped me with this. He said, Paul instructs Titus himself to instruct the younger men both by word and by example. Thus, just as the older women are to instruct the younger, the influence of Titus's life is to spread among the less mature men. So as you're reading this, and you hear these words, okay, self-control, verse 7, Paul turns his attention to Titus, and he's going to instruct Titus, a young man, and now Titus, through living out these commandments, is going to be the example for these other young men. And so other young men are to look to Titus and, and they're to be, be able to look at this guy and say, there's the example, that's where I want to be, that's, what, that's who I want to be, I'm going to follow Titus's example. And so through the word, self-control, through the example, Titus, we get the rest of the commandments for young men. Now these are not all of the commandments in God's word for young men, but specifically in Titus 2, we get to see them through the example of Titus. Look at verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good Works And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned so that any opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Be a model of good works. Now, Pastor Titus is this pastor on the island of Crete, and he's been establishing other pastors. He's a young man, and in this life and walk, in this little island, he's going to be this model, the model of Christian manhood that other young men are going to learn from. Now, this is crucial because if young men are going to be looking to Titus, I think this is an example and template for all pastoral ministry. In fact, I know it is. 
that young men should be able to look at pastors in a local church and should be able to catch what biblical manhood looks like. That's why effeminacy in the pulpit and in pastoral life is anathema. A man who's behind a pulpit, who does not know what it means to be a godly Christian man and to teach other young men to be men, has no business in pastoral ministry. Young men should be able to look to their fathers and to their pastors and then catch, here's how you are to be a man. Now, if I'm the kind of men, if I'm the kind of man that you don't want your children to be like, now first and foremost, your young men are going to be learning from you guys, men. But if the elders of this church become a group of men that you don't want your children to be like, you need to go find a church that has a group of men that are leading that you want your children, you want your young men to be like. And for anybody else, if they're at churches where the men are not godly men, where the elders are not men, where they want their kids to be, then they need to be at a different church. Titus is just like every other pastor, and every other pastor should walk in the ways of Titus. To live in such a way that the men around them are better men if they're going to be living like them. Not perfect men, but repentant men. The godliest of men know how much they need Jesus. They know how desperate they are for his grace, his present grace. Not just yesterday's grace, but today's grace and tomorrow's grace. Titus was to be this example. He is to model good works. Model good works. Be a model. Show how good works work. In all respects, be a model of good works. Timothy and Titus were these young men that were both called in these pastoral epistles to live in such a way that demonstrated an example. Titus is now called model good works. Show them how to do this. Don't simply call them out for their laziness. Don't simply say, don't be a liar. Don't be an evil beast anymore, guys. Don't be a drunkard. Don't be a glutton. Just just stop that. He is to model, here's how to not be lazy. Here's how to not be a liar. Here's how to not be a glutton. Here's how to not be these things. Come follow me and I'll help help you walk out of this culture. I'll help you live the way God would have you live. I will show you how the kingdom life works. What it looks like to follow in the ways of Jesus. Young men are to be shown what to do and how to do it. Young men need to be prepared. They need to work hard. They need to learn how to show up on time. They need to know how to not look sloppy and disheveled. They need to learn how to help and to serve and to love well. They need to be able to catch this from the men that they're around, the men in the local church, real men. It's a key to pastoral ministry. To say it again, every single pastor should live in such a way that if their life was replicated, the church would be full of godly men. In other words, Titus was not allowed to, nor is any elder allowed to have a public life or a public persona and a private life that doesn't match up. And what gets every single pastor in moral failures, what what gets every single man that's taken out by sin, by the flesh, by the devil, what gets every single man is every man that falls has a public persona and a private life that are in conflict. They're not the same thing. It's not an authentic man. It's a man who's got his church face. It's a man who's got his work face. And then he's got his life with his buddy's face. And he doesn't have a real, authentic godliness coming from the inside out. It's men that are 
hopelessly lost. They're phony wherever they are. They don't really know who they are. A man that's a chameleon is no godly man. And Titus was not allowed to have that. He was called to show these guys, exemplify godliness as a young man. And it's the expectation of every young man. It should be. Watch me. Let's go. Come on. He was called to show these guys how to live. Here's how you do the good stuff, guys. This is where it's at. Watch me. The expectation of every young man, therefore, is that someday you become the kind of man that models good works for other younger men. That's how it works. Young men catch manhood. And then the other young men behind them that are coming up, that are growing up in their world, in their life, under their influence, they catch what godly young manhood looks like as well. Young men are called to commitment and process, the process of becoming what God calls men of God to be. And then you become the kind of man that younger men look up to. They think, I want to be like that guy. I definitely don't want to be like that guy. Guys, as you got like the Rolodex in your mind, when I say words like effeminate, immediately you know like effeminate men that dress girly, talk girly, have girly mannerisms. You know what I'm talking about. And you don't respect guys like that. You don't want to be a guy like that. And if you do, you shouldn't. Um, Mike Foster says, my wife is my feminine side. <laughs> we we want to grow into the men God is calling us to be. And so young men are going to learn from real men. And they're going to learn, like, oh, I definitely don't want to be like that guy. And there's a, a part of, uh, there is a, there's some things that we really need to recap. We need to capture again. Uh, we should never be like bigots, okay? We should never be like, oh, gay dudes, you know, like. Or that. However, <laughs> we have lost a ability to blush in our culture, and it should be disgusting. Certain sins should be disgusting. When men are acting like women, it should disgust us. When women are acting like men, it should disgust us, and we should be brokenhearted. We should call for their repentance to live as God has made them to be. We shouldn't try to empathize in the sense that, oh, I'm so sorry. No, we, we want them to live as God created them. And as long as they're living in contrast to how God has made them, they're going to be miserable. And so Christian men are to model real manhood in a world that doesn't know what that is. It's just not even a thing. Model good works. Integrity, verse 7, show yourself in all respects to be models of good works. And in your teaching, show, here's the word, integrity. The work of pastoral ministry is a life of teaching and living. The one qualification that's not a character qualification in 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, for an elder or an overseer is apt to teach, able to teach. Pastors are always teaching. That's their life. And Titus is commissioned to be a man of integrity in his life's work. Be a man of integrity in your teaching. The life of the pastor is teaching God's words and God's ways. Here's what God's word says. Here's how we walk that out. We do this imperfectly, but let's go. That was Titus' calling. 
and the word integrity. Now, sadly, in pastoral ministry and in life, there's a lot of integrity that's just been kicked out the window. It's like it's a kickball. You just drop integrity and you kick it as far as you can and you keep doing life and pastors keep calling it pastoral ministry. Perfect example is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Ed Litton. For years, he's been preaching other men's sermons. He's got a group of 10 men that are helping him with outlines. That alone is neglecting his responsibility. Not doing... So, it's like if I would have all you guys build an outline for me. Give me an out... Here's your outline. And then I get my outline. I walk up here and I preach my outline. Or my sermon. And he's been doing this for years. Ed Litton. He's unqualified to be in pastoral ministry. He's unqualified to be the president of any convention. And he really needs to repent. He really, without repentance, men like that are not qualified to be members of a local church. Instead of being like Titus and walking with integrity, there are pastors, unfortunately, all across this land that are just, hey, integrity, why does it matter? I want to save face. I want to keep building retirement. I want, to be, I want to be liked by as many people as possible. I'm going to say whatever the itching ears want me to say. And instead of teaching with integrity, instead of opening the Bible and putting pen to paper and prayer and fingers to keys, he lets other people do the work and he just preaches other people's work. Now, Titus would have never done such an evil thing. He would have repudiated that idea. He would have mocked it and scoffed it. Are you kidding me? You're to be a minister of God's word and you're not even pouring your life into the scriptures. You're not even proclaiming your own work. You're doing other people's work and taking credit for it. And not only that, popular preachers today, what's popular in the world has also become popular in uh, the publishing world. Christian authors, big, big name pastors, have ghostwriters to write their books for them. Many of them that I've heard about personally that don't write their own books, that have ghostwriters that write their books for them, and then their name gets on that book, and they get the royalties from that book, and they didn't write it. And this is pervasive in Christian publishing. But young men contrasting that with the evil of lacking integrity in the basic work of pastoral ministry, Titus was to model integrity, and then everybody else was to catch integrity in their life work. Because, young men, very few of you are going to be called into pastoral ministry. God's going to have you go out, and he's going to gift you to build businesses. He's going to uh, gift you to build incredible households. He's going to gift you to be an amazing husband. He's going to gift you to be an amazing worker. If you're a single man, he's going to, he's going to gift you to go out in the world and, and take dominion and lead and serve for the good of other people. He's going to give you responsibility as you're faithful in the responsibility he's given you. You're going to find more and more and more. And so in your life, you are to live with integrity. Christian young men are to live with that integrity in everywhere. They're to be men of honor. Mean what you say and say what you mean. Uh, punctuality is an easy, easy thing. Be punctual. Say what you, mean what you say and say what you mean. These are things that I'm still growing and learning in. Write notes and lists. Do what you need to do. Jared, notes and lists. Don't forget meetings. Don't forget this or that. It doesn't matter what your vocational calling is going to be. Be an honest man. Be honest. Mean what you say and say what you mean. Be a man of honor. Be a man of integrity. Be a man of dignity. There's the word. Just like for older men, younger men are to be men of dignity. Titus is to model this. Dignity, last word in verse 7. In your teaching, show integrity. Dignity. Dignity. 
Typical young men today are hopelessly lost and they lack real godly ambition. Selfish ambition is everywhere, is it not? Self-indulgence? Tell you what, a man can have a lot of motivation to do what his lusts want him to do. A man who's bound to go out and seek pleasure will find pleasure. A man that cannot curb his appetite in life will find ways to feed it. But Christian men, young men, are to live with dignity. But young men are love with their phone, addicted to pornography. They don't know how to change a tire. They can't bench press their own weight. The grip strength of an average 18-year-old to hammer on college students again. Sorry, Thomas. Um, The grip strength of an 18-year-old in our country today, 18-year-old boy, is about the same as a 30-year-old woman today. Men are getting weaker and weaker and weaker. Young men don't know how to get get a date. A lot of young men don't know that there's only two genders. They don't have integrity. But I like Thomas. Ben's not here today. I don't know Thomas as well as I know Ben. But I want to commend Ben, young Ben, and college students like him. Ben has struggles. We know a little Ben, right? Okay. Ben has struggles just like anybody else. He has a lifetime of growth in front of him, but he carries himself with dignity. And you can tell a young man with dignity apart from a young man that lacks dignity because they're in a room of other men and they fit in. They don't stick out like a sore thumb. They're in the room and other men look at them, look at that young man and think, there's a man with honor. He carries himself with class and with dignity. And I I have been mentioning college students lately, not just to pick on college students, because there are some students that stand out. Be that kind of young man. you're You're like the guy, like everybody else is like, an Oompa Loompa at college, and you're like Shaquille O'Neal. You stick out like that much, okay? You're a normal, godly young man. Everybody else is nuts. You be the man of dignity. You be the man of honor, and you will stand out in the group of other men as men look at you and see you, and young ladies that are worth anything, young ladies that have any common sense whatsoever, they will recognize there's a young man of dignity, David Hicks, my good buddy and roommate in college, was like this. We were all worried about intramural championships, and David Hicks had his top ten goals for the semester plastered on his computer screen. And we used to make fun of Hicks, like, ah, look how, you know, look how orderly you are and how, you know, how much stuff you got together. Ha, ha, ha. We're going to play Frisbee. (laughs) David's like a lawyer and was... Uh, what is it when you're in, in a firm and you're like partner, you're like partner in a firm by like 27 years old? I mean, David was a man of honor. He stood out. He was a young man who lived like an adult and not like a child. And that's what godly young men are to do. They are have commitment to leave childhood behind and step into more and more responsibility. Responsibility's there, and so I'm not going to postpone it. Young men, regardless of the age you are, whatever category that young is, young men do not postpone responsibility. Those who postpone responsibility rarely have much of it. 
And if you're not willing to say, yes, by God's grace, I'll carry this. Yes, by God's grace, I'll carry this. Yes, by God's grace, I'll carry this. Not to be saved. This isn't a burden on Christians' back that you're coming and saying, you know, as pilgrim progress, give me more responsibility so I can save myself. No, this is, I'm God's man, and God is going to entrust me with responsibilities. He's going to place things in my hand, and by God's grace, I'm going to carry them faithfully. I'm not going to push them away. And young men, I promise you this, if you'll take care and take responsibility over what God has entrusted you with, if you will live for the good of other people around you, God will bring more to you. Not in a health and wealth sort of way, but, it, but responsibilities come to people who, who walk well with them, who manage them well, who live with dignity and live with honor. Don't postpone responsibility. What about sound speech? Look in verse 8. We're almost done, guys. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Sound speech. Young men are called to speak with accuracy and honesty. Sound means accurate. Know your Bible. Know your Bible. There, there's a lot of young men that talk a lot of theological nonsense. And young men need to learn from Titus how to speak in a sound manner. If you don't know your Bible, don't speak confidently as if you do. Your evangelism needs to be about the gospel of Jesus. If you don't know how to articulate the gospel, then you need to find an older man that knows how to articulate the gospel and you need to ask him, how do I share the gospel? How do I, how do I talk about the gospel? Can you explain it to me? Young men need to learn how to speak in a way that's biblically faithful. God's word is the standard of all Christian belief and practice. God's word is the standard, not what you think, not what you feel, not what makes sense to you. Don't be a man like that. A young man whose standard of life is, well, it just makes sense to me, or is the latest social outrage, or the latest fad in social justice, rather than saying, what does God have to say about this? What does God have to think about this? And then agreeing with God and walking in that manner. Be a man of the Bible. Young men are to speak with sound speech. When you know the Bible, when you know God's word, your speech is affected. The counsel you give to other people, it's affected. The way you're able to listen to counsel, it's affected. The way you're able to be reprimanded because you know that those who hate rebuke are stupid because you've read Proverbs. And that's the actual proverb. And so you don't hate rebuke because you want to walk in wisdom. You know God's word. Sound speech. When you hear people talk and make absolute statements like this, some philosophy teacher or some friend or neighbor or some skeptic online that you know that says, well, I just don't think God would, or I don't think this makes sense, or I think this is right, or this is wrong, blah, 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 blah. You can respond, why? You seem to care about justice. Why? What's right and what's wrong? And, and by what standard do you say something is right or wrong? What's your foundation for the words that you're saying? The godly young man knows how to speak in a sound manner. You know, young men, that things are right and wrong, not because of a feeling inside, not because of the wave of popular opinion, not because of social standards. You know that something is right or wrong because God's word tells you what's right and what's wrong. And if what God says is right and wrong, is unpopular with the world, you're still speaking with sound speech. You don't care if that gives you brownie points with people who hate God. You know things are right or wrong because God tells you, not because of the wave of 
popular opinion. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. Now your confession of faith and the words that come out of your mouth should not be confusing to people. This it gets back to that double life thing. The confession of your faith and the words that come out of your mouth should not be confusing to people. Slang words. Now, sound speech at times requires strong language. Think the prophets, think the Apostle Paul, think Jesus. But a regular, constant diet that's coming out of your mouth or or throwing up that's coming out of your mouth, not diet, of slang words, foolish talk, coarse joking, cuss words, that is unbecoming of a godly young man. I remember when I first started preaching, I would say words that I would never say when I'm preached now because of shock factor. Oh my goodness, he said that? And it was purposeless, it was foolish. Slang words, cuss words, are words for lazy men who refuse to speak with honor and dignity. Our speech is to be with a purpose. Notice the presupposition here. We will have opponents. Sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. The presupposition for godly young men that they need to be aware of is that you're going to have opponents. Titus had opponents, you're going to have opponents. Every Christian life that desires to live a godly life will have opponents. Young men, you're going to, if you take up the challenge of godly Christian manhood, you're going to be opposed basically every single step of the way. And there's going to be a call that's upon you. The world's going to say, that's not nice, that's not loving your neighbor, that's not... Fill in the blank. It's not this or that. And you're going to have to learn to tune out the words of the opponents. And you're going to have to tune in to the voice of God. And you're going to have to be a man, by the grace of God, willing to say, I'm just going to to do what God has called me to do. And I am committed to the process of being every bit of the man of God that I can be in this life. I want to be that man. I want to temper that appetite. I want to push down those lusts. I want to walk in the way God would have me. I don't want to walk in envy. I don't want to love, I love stuff. And I don't want stuff, this is me personally, I love stuff. I I love giving gifts, I love receiving gifts. I like stuff. I'll look at the next thing or the next thing. I have to temper that. I can't let stuff own me. When we first got married, it was like $2.99 trinkets on the Amazon. Like, a, ta- If it says tactical in it, in my mind, I'm like, how can I get that? Tactical pin, tactical knife, tactical fill-in-the-blank. Pants, got some tactical pants. I got them at the pantry in Carterville, which, by the way, is a great way to save money. Pantry in Carterville. It's like the thrift store. It'll ruin you of all thrift stores because it's so cheap. You've got to be committed and by the grace of God, this is when I, I want to be the best man I can possibly be. And it's going to be decades of growth, day in and day out for the rest of my life. By God's grace, I want to be the best man I can be. And I want you guys to be the best men that you can be. But we're going to have opponents, and young men, we've got to know that. And our speech, it has to be sound that the opponents are put to shame because they have nothing evil to say about us. Now, opponents may say we're doing something evil, They're going to say that you are evil, but they will not have any real evil that will be pegged against us. To speak with sound speech in 2021 will get you labeled 
And young men, you have to be okay with this. If you want to be a basic Christian, like the last 2,000 years Christian who just loves the Bible, you will be called a sexist, you'll be called a bigot, you'll be called a racist, you'll be called a Christian nationalist, you'll be called a white supremacist, and all other sorts of names. You will be if you're not already being called that. But rational, normal people will know that that is not true about you, that it's nonsense, it's nonsensical, it's not true, it's ridiculous, and your opponents will be put to shame. In other words, when other people know who you are and the opponents are talking trash about you and saying, saying evil things, and they know your character and your way that you have about you of speaking with sound speech, the people that are listening to these opponents saying that you're doing evil things, they're going to say, there's nothing evil that I hear about this young man. This young man is living with godly, he's living with integrity. I may not even be a Christian, but I have a sound mind by the grace of God, and I recognize that that's not true about that young man. They'll have nothing truly evil to say about us. So wrapping up to young men, where do we start? Where, where does the, the life and the commitment to Christian manhood? It's a commitment that's going to be an entire life. Young men, young boys in here, like boys here, guys, young boys in the front, boys, my boys in the back, we're learning what Christian manhood is. Christian men, worship, work, protect, provide. Actually, Ransom, what do men do? Worship, work, protect, provide, lead, love. Ransom, or Valor always leaves out work. It's <laughs> worship, protect, provide, lead, love. Like, like work, buddy, work too. You've got to have work in there. It's a commitment. It's a lifelong commitment. And we're all in process. But as young men, younger men, follow the leading of the older men. Older men, that means there's responsibility on your shoulders. Young men say, I'm new to the faith. Where do I go? How do I get started? Here's a few things that you can do to get started. Number one, repent of all known sin and turn to Jesus. If you're a Christian, you're a Christian young man, your sins are forgiven, all of them. You are free to repent of every known sin and turn to Jesus and recognize what he did for you on the cross. That he didn't just take some of your sins to the cross, he took every single one of your sins to the cross. So repent of all known sins. Number two, ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and to help you obey God's word. Ask for help from the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, please help me to honor and obey God's word. Number three, find good godly men to learn from. Catch godly manhood. It's like osmosis. Catch it. Learn it. Be around it. Grow as the years go and the decades go into the kind of man that you want to be by connecting, learning from the man that you want to be, from the men that you want to be. Number four, be responsible for all that God gives you right now. So young men don't have the same sort of, op they don't have the same sort of kingdom that older men have. Younger men and older have, men have older and, and more responsibilities, bigger responsibilities. Young men don't have many of those responsibilities yet. They're in the low bottom of the totem pole at the work where they're employed. They're not even to middle management yet. They're not here or there. They've not built their business yet. The business is right now just getting off the ground. So what responsibilities has God given you? Okay, don't lament that you don't have more or lament that you don't have other responsibilities. What responsibilities has God given you? Steward those well. Honor God with them. Number five, Obey God one step at a time. I had a friend in college that told me this, stuck with me. God's will is found through the obedience of the moment. 
So what you realize is that you you get caught up in this adventure that's called the Christian life. And you realize when you're in your life and you look back and you're like, my goodness, how did I get here? God's ways were better than my ways. His plans were better than my plans. And my life looks a lot different than I thought it would look, but it's a lot better. God knew what he was doing with me. I have no idea. Look, look what God has done. Obey God one step at a time. And by the way, we do this, we stumble forward. The Christian life is like stumble, stumble, run, stumble, run, victory, defeat, mountain, valley, keep going. Number six, by grace, leave a legacy. If you don't know what to do, aim for a legacy. Aim for a legacy. Aim to be the kind of man that your great-grandchildren want to, hear, want to be. They hear stories about great-grandpa. Be that kind of man. Guys, don't just live for this generation. Don't live for this life. Don't live for just right now. Live with eternity in mind and live to leave a legacy. Listen to what God did through great-grandpa. Listen to the stories of God's faithfulness. Listen, leave a legacy. This is the normal way of Christian manhood. Be a young man of courage. Be a godly young man. Young man. This is a charge to young men. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us. This is a great call, a good call, a noble call. And we want to honor you with it. We don't want to spoil the gifts that you've given us. We don't want to ruin them or throw them to the side. For the younger men in this room, Lord, I pray you would help them. For our pastoral team, God, I thank you for these elders that I serve with. And Lord, help us as a group of pastors. Help us to model Christian manhood. And Lord, I pray for every young man in in this room. I pray that they would be willing to take up that mantle and they would be willing to run with it. The life of living as God would have them live. It's an adventure. It's so much fun. So much better than living according to the plans and the ways of the world. And help us with it. God, I thank you that we get to sing about where we started, that we're justified men. And for every brother in this room, every sister in this room, help us be reminded that we are who we are and we're doing what we're doing because of your great love for us. Because what you have done for us is so glorious. Because of who you are. It's going to be our joy to sing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.